Uh, my name is Adam Rentis. I'm the student ministries pastor, and um, I welcome you uh, to First Church this morning. Um, as was, has been stated, if you're new or if uh, you've been here a long time, thank you. Um, and that partnership class is a great way to learn more about the church. Uh, and partnership isn't just something we talk about around here. Uh, so Pastor David this morning is, um, he, he's not like off. He's actually over at the Benton Heights campus. Uh, he was there for the Spanish service this morning. I'm told that he didn't preach the, the Spanish service, although we should have all been there if that was the case. Um, but um, so Pastor David had some loss. He experienced some loss in his family uh, this last week. And so uh, as a team, as a staff here, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to stand in the gap with um, my, my friend and my pastor David and when he asked to, to preach today. Um, and so we, we take partnership um, seriously as a staff, but also as a congregation. And so uh, we link arms together and uh, serve the King together. And so uh, we welcome you here. We're glad that you are here this morning. And um, ooh, there we go. Um, and so you're, you're awake. Um, we good, Everett? All right. Thank you, my friend. Um, so we, um, we experience different seasons in life. Um, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, it's not just the beginning of a, a song, right? Anybody? Okay, don't sing it. Don't sing it. Um, I, can we just pause for a moment to recognize like fall is, is here? And I, for one, really like fall for various reasons. Um, but does anybody else like this, this season of the year? I mean, you get to wear a, you get to wear a hoodie and show, yeah, we can give the Lord a round of applause because it's his creation, like, right? So, uh, but it's also, it's just fun. What you can have, like, we had a family campfire last night in the backyard and uh, it's just, it's a wonderful time of year. Um, but the, the seasons of life don't really, that we experience don't actually have anything to do with the weather outside. Um, we, we go through different seasons in our lives where sometimes we experience seasons of joy and celebration Sometimes we experience seasons of deep grief and sorrow. And the reality is, um, we will at one point or another in our lives experience the full scope, the full spectrum of the seasons of life. Uh, while we don't wish that on you, uh, at least the, the despair and the, the grieving sides, we know that those moments will come. Um, we all long for those seasons of celebration and joy. Uh, and sometimes we wish the seasons would last longer than they do. Uh, sometimes we may feel like they will never, ever come to an end. But the reality is God is with us through each of those seasons that we face. And so we've been doing that, a look at the book of Job the last few weeks, and we're going to continue today. Uh, I pray today that what you experience is uh, a truth from God's Word, that you would, you would hear from Him personally, and as he ministers to you, you would feel his presence very, in a very real way, uh, regardless of the season that you find yourself in. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning um, from a lot of different places, not just uh, location-wise, but just different things going on in life. Knowing this week that some received incredible news that um, the, the test results came back as it's not cancer and some are experiencing loss of life of a family member everything and in between. And Father, we know that you are Lord of all. So whether we, wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, we come here anticipating a touch from you. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word. It's, it's how you minister to us. It's one of the ways you minister to us. And so speak to us through your word. May we live, leave here changed because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So like I said, for the last few weeks, uh, we have been in this book of Job. Now, how many of you, if you're being honest, like this is where you go to when you're not sure what to read. You're like, I don't know what to read in the Bible. I know I'm going to go camp out in the book of Job. No? Okay, me either. So if I'm being really honest with you, um, last, last week when David said, hey, would you mind filling in this, this, this today, Sunday, um, I was like, sure, and we're in Job, and I'm not, I have, it's been a long time since I have spent um, significant time in Job. But I've done that this last week, and looking back at what all we've already discussed, um, there's some incredible things for us in here. And so as we talked about the first week, really we dealt with Job's dilemma and all the things that were going on in his life. And if we think about it for just a moment, in one day, just in one day, Job lost all of his wealth. He lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, five female donkeys. He lost all of his servants, and he lost his seven sons and his three daughters, all of them in one day gone. And then... He lost his health. And last week we talked about the brutal sores that covered his entire body. Job chapter 2 verse 7 actually says this, he was struck with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now I don't know if you've ever experienced um, massive trauma, massive pain, or some sort of uh, physical pain, um, but oftentimes when we experience some sort of physical pain, there's at least one position we can put ourselves in to get some sort of reprieve from that pain. Whether it's sitting on one side or like standing on, like taking the weight off or shifting the weight around. But if you think about Job's situation, it specifically says from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head, he was covered in these sores. There was no position he could put himself to experience some sort of relief from the pain. Standing wouldn't do it, sitting, laying down, no relief possible. And then in verses, or in chapters 3 through 37, we're going to briefly summarize those right now, um, because we're going to pick up in, in chapter 38 today. But in chapters 3 through 37, what we experience there are what we would call Job's debates. He's got some friends. In the midst of his extreme loss, his friends come onto the scene. And at first, as Pastor David said last week, they were great friends in the sense that they recognized that he was hurting, that he was in pain, and they just sat with him. And we read that they sat with him for seven days in silence. But then the eighth day, and they opened their mouths, and they started speaking. And it's been said that keeping our mouths closed for one minute will save you hours of explanation. And so through the next 35 chapters, Job goes back and forth with these friends, and his friends were suggesting that Job was actually being punished, that this was, he was being disciplined for some sort of sin in his life or in his children's life or something. And meanwhile, all this time, Job is struggling. He's wondering where his God is when he needed him the most. He felt that God had completely abandoned him. And over the years, many scholars have actually commented that even with all the trauma and all the loss that he experienced, perhaps the greatest feeling of loss that Job felt was in his connection to God. And so we get to chapter 38. This is where we find Job. He is in despair. He is still grieving. He is sitting on a pile of ashes. He's, he's, his body covered in sores. And we get to chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
And so at last, at last, finally, God comes onto the scene. Job has been knocking on heaven's door, longing and longing for God to answer. And at last, God comes. But let's take careful note of this and how God arrives. God comes, but not to answer. God comes as the answer. See, Job was asking all sorts of difficult and complicated questions. And at first glance, when it says, and then God came and God arrives on the scene and he answered Job, God is not coming to give answer to the litany of questions that Job was asking. God comes to be the answer for what Job needed most in that moment. The Apostle Paul penned it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it's important to take special note that this is not a peace that comes from understanding, but it's a peace that surpasses understanding, that transcends our understanding. See, oftentimes God, when he shows up and he provides that peace, it's not like, oh, I understand it now, and now I have peace. It's, God, I am in the midst of this storm, I'm in this difficulty, and yet I have peace. And I have no idea why I have peace. Maybe there are seasons in your life where you can point back to and say, I I see that, I've experienced that peace. There have been seasons in my life where I've experienced that level of peace, and, and I don't know why I feel peace about it. Because it is that peace that surpasses, that transcends our understanding that only God can provide. And here's a hard truth for us to hear. You will never have an answer for many of the questions that, you, that are stirring within you. And that's, that's hard, and it's like, hey, we come here, I want the answers, but you will never have an answer for many of the questions that are stirring within you. But I believe that you will find that your God, our God, that he is the answer and that he will give you a peace in the midst of that difficult situation that you find yourself in. And so we continue. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, verse 2 and 3, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress like action for like a man. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Now, this is probably not how Job saw this reunion going. Um, God showing up and saying, like, who is this who is asking me or who's speaking without knowledge? I know that that's not really how I want God to interact with me. Who who are you to to ask me these things? But really what God, God is saying to Job is he's saying, hey, stop moping around. Hey, get dressed. Let's go. It's time to get up. I've got some questions for you to consider, Job. And so we dive into these, this line of questions that Job, Job receives from God. Chapter 38 and chapter 39 really are God questioning Job. Uh, he's standing there in his presence, and God is asking him these questions. And these are questions that Job is going to find it very, very difficult to answer. In fact, he will find it impossible to answer. And so verses 4 and 5, God asks this. He says, "'Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth?' Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? 
Where were you, Job? <laughs> where, are you, where, where were you, Job, when I was designing the earth? Now, we as humans, we think we know a lot, don't we? Now, don't look to the person next to you and be like, oh, you think you know a lot. Um, but we live in a culture where we can get a lot of answers very quickly. Like, if something's wrong with your car, you can Google it. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe this is the thing, I might have to try this. If your car's making a weird noise, I wonder if you turn the microphone on and just hold Google up to it, like, what is this? And maybe it will diagnose it for you. Uh, I don't know. I don't, who should try that? But we live in a world where we think we know a lot. It reminds me of a story of this uh, museum guide. He was leaving, leading a tour of people, and they come to the dinosaur exhibit, and he's standing in front of the brontosaurus. And he says to this crowd, he said, the brontosaurus is two million and six years old. And like one guy in the crowd's like, okay, hang on a second. He's like, I can, I can get the two million part, but like, how can you tell us that the brontosaurus is two million and six years old? And the tour guy said, well, all I know is he was two million years old when I started working here six years ago. <laughs> we think we know so much. But the reality is the more that we discover, the more uh, that we do uncover and peel back, the more we realize that we don't know. We discover there's so much that we do not know. And that's where Job finds himself. In the midst of asking all of these questions, he finds himself face to face with God, and God starts asking him these questions. And he continues in verse 6 and 7. I love this passage, this part right here. <coughs> or, or what, on what, were its base, speaking of creation, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This phrase in verse 7 that speaks of morning stars is likely referring to, and we know for the fact that the sons of God, these are referring to angelic beings. And so God is saying, when I was creating the world, where were you? This moment when the angelic beings were singing and shouting for joy as I created everything, where were you, Job? You weren't there for it. God created our, everything. He created the universe, and I believe he created it with a wonderful soundtrack. <laughs> and maybe what you need to do is you need to, maybe the best thing we can do is to burst out into song, not right now in the middle of this, please, um, but maybe the best thing in the middle of your difficult situation is that we could burst out in praise for our God, for who he is. Even in the midst of those difficulties, we worship him. In Acts chapter 16, that's where Paul and Silas found themselves. As they were locked up, as they were in prison, we read that they began singing praises and worship. And then the prison doors sprang open. But notice, they were singing before the doors opened, not because the doors opened. So maybe, maybe you this morning, you feel like you're in a prison of sorts. You feel like you're boxed in. Perhaps you will find that there is a release in praise and worship. Psalm 42, verse 5 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sometimes praising him has to be the declaration of our soul, not just a result. We just, we proclaim it. We say, no matter the situations, I will praise him. Now, through the rest of chapter 38 and 39, God questions Job regarding some of the many things that Job doesn't know. Now, I've chosen for, uh, for time's sake to kind of summarize these things. Um, 
But I would, I would encourage you this week, take some time and go and read through. I know like Job is not probably on your reading list, but read through Job chapter 38 and 39. There are some wonderful word pictures of God and his creation and what he did for us and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. One of them is like this. Like I said, we're not going to read through all of this, but here's a sample that comes out of Job 38. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. God, again, speaking creation into existence. This, this chapter 38 and 39 is wonderful. It kind of, it goes on. You can go back and you can look in Genesis chapter one and, and, and creation and how everything happened and God speaking these things into existence. It's wonderful imagery. So in verses eight through 11, God is asking Job, do you know the boundaries of the sea? 12 through 18, do you understand the nature of the earth? Verses 19 through 24, do you comprehend the nature of light, darkness, and the sky? Verses 25 through 30, tell me, Job, do you understand the nature of rain and its effects? 30 through 31, do you know the nature of the constellations, all the, scar, all the stars in the sky? Verse 34 through 38, do you know the nature of clouds and weather and the human mind? Do you understand and master the animal kingdom in 39 through 41? And so just let's pause for a moment and all these questions that, that God is asking Job and let's understand that basically what God is saying is, okay, Job, if you can answer these things, if you can, can give me an answer to these, then you are fit to ask me the questions that you may have. If you cannot answer these things, then I want you to understand that you, you don't need to be asking me so many questions. You do need to put your trust in me. Now, it'd be easy for us to interpret this line of questioning as God kind of a harsh re rebuke coming on Job. But I don't think that what God is doing is, I don't think he's coming to Job is like, hey, Job, you, you wouldn't understand. You're just some like small little human. You just, you won't understand these things. He's not treating him like a young child, but he's trying, Job to, trying to get Job to understand there is so much more going on around you than you can see. And he wants Job to start to see that, to understand that. And then we get to chapter 39. And God focuses his line of questioning <clears throat> on the animal kingdom. And I find this, this line of questioning rather interesting, personally. Um, for the record, if you read out of the ESV, first part of Job chapter 39, um, God mentions the does, and um, like who understands the doe, and it's the fall, and if, if that just went over your head, sorry, I was intrigued by it at the time of year that we're in. Um, but, <clears throat> okay, no amens, no problem. Let's just keep going. So the line of questioning, what I find most interesting about this is that we must remember that Job himself was fairly familiar with livestock. We think back not too long ago, remember he used to have 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, five female, 500 female donkeys, so God continues his line of questioning, but he switches gears, and it's almost like he's not messing with him, but I love this, and I, this is me maybe adding some things here, but I think it's God saying, like, I know there's even things that you know a lot about that you know nothing about. Like, in these topics that you know a lot about, Job, I want you to know you don't know enough. And so he starts this line of questioning in this subject that he's more familiar with, verse 1 through 4 of chapter 39. Do you know about or master the wild mountain goat? Do you know about or master the wild donkey? Verse 9 through 12, do you know about or master the wild ox? 
Verse 13 through 18, tell me, Job, do you understand the ostrich? Hang on a second. Does anybody, okay, does anybody understand the, like, the ostrich? Can you just look at it, right? Sorry, this is, again, my mind, like, I mean, God is creative, and, like, I get it, but, like, you look at that, and there's nothing about, can you go back one? There's nothing about this that's just like, oh, that makes sense, right? And so, again, I want to say, we need to take that down, because I'll get distracted for the rest of the service, but, but this is the line of questioning that God is putting Job through. And he's saying, do you understand the ostrich? He continues in verse 19 through 25. Do you understand or master the horse? Do you, Job, understand or master the hawk or the eagle? Now, it would be easy to imagine and picture Job kind of sheepishly um, curled up in the corner like, no, <laughs> and kind of moping now. But God is not, I don't believe that what God is trying to do is, is, is again, rebuke him harshly. I think he's trying to help him understand that his perspective is so very limited. In my preparation this week, I came across this this writing from this author, and I just want to read it to you specifically. It says this, All these questions brought Job before another truth. I see that this world made by God operates with remarkable order and wisdom. Can I deny his wisdom and government of all things just because there are things in my own life that I can't understand? Or should I simply trust this God who does all these other things so marvelously well? That's who God is. And that's this line of questioning that is coming to Job. And as we continue into chapter 40, there are a couple things that we need to know before we move on. First... (coughs) The questions that God had for Job, they were simply unanswerable questions. This is not an invitation for us to open up the Bible and then to ask Google, well, help me to understand this. There are things that we cannot understand, and God is trying to paint that picture for him. These were meant to show that he has no place to demand answers from God. And then secondly, this appearance of God, let's not, again, see this as this this harsh rebuke. And so we, we turn to verses 1 and 2, and the Lord says to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. But don't miss this here. God has now appeared to Job. Remember that in the midst of his heartache and the pain that he has experienced, it's likely that Job's greatest agony was that he felt that God had abandoned him that he had forsaken him. And like any true revelation from God when we encounter him, there were plenty of elements that would make Job feel small before the greatness of God. Yet, it could not take away from the massive comfort that Job felt simply being once again in the presence of his God. And through this interaction that he had with God, Job learned that God had not abandoned him. And it gradually dawned on Job that though without knowing why, all these different things that were going on, not knowing why he was suffering, he could face it so long as he was assured that God was in fact with him. And so don't miss this important fact that God comforted Job's heart without specifically answering his questions. He comforted Job's heart without specifically answering his questions. And so throughout the 35 chapters of debates that Job had with his friends, Job spoke with a tone of disagreement and challenge to everything that his friends were saying. 
Now, Job prayed often throughout those encounters in those, those chapters and throughout his dialogue with his friends, yet now he speaks after God's revelation to him, he speaks with quite a different tone. But it's important to note that Job doesn't change his tone because his situation has changed. He changes his tone because he is standing in the presence of God Almighty. He's grieving and he's still lost virtually everything. But he knew that God was with him. And so we pick up in verse 3. And then, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice. I will not answer, excuse me, uh, twice, but I will proceed no further. This phrase of small account, it's the Hebrew word kalal, and it means more literally translated uh, of no weight or lightness. And you and I, we must see our lightness when compared to God. You and I, we are of small account compared to the majesty and the holiness and the mightiness of God our Father. And so whether you find yourself in a season of deep despair or a season of increasing joy, here are a few thoughts I want to leave you with today. And it's this. Number one, remember that God's silence does not equal absence. If you are in a, in a place where you feel that God is silent, you feel that you've been crying out to him, but yet you find yourself just sitting in silence, his silence does not equal absence. And that's a hard thing for us to realize, but it's important for us to remember as we look at Scripture that He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always with us, no matter what. As children of God, as we put our faith in, in Jesus and what He did on the cross for us, we have this promise, we have this hope that we are not going at the world alone. We have Him with us. And so though he, we may feel that He is silent, we must remember that He is with us. And number two, Refrain from demanding answers to questions we can't fully understand. If you're a parent, maybe you remember that fateful day when your child learned a three-letter word question, why? And then they just started using that question over, why? Why, Dad? Why, Dad? My, my kids never did that, just so you know. <clears throat> but they like to ask the question, why? And you and I... It's in our nature, I believe, to want to have answers to the questions that we have. We want to know the, questions, the answers, but we need to realize that we are not guaranteed those answers. We have to choose to trust that God is at work in the background, even if we can't see that work in that moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. There have been seasons in my life where I would argue that that, that passage was true. Well, God didn't mean this situation. Yet the way it is penned, the way Paul wrote it, that we have to believe that for God, for through all situations... Even the most difficult and complex circumstance that we walk through, even in that, God is at work, even though we can't see what he is doing in the moment. And then lastly, recognize that you are not Almighty God. God is. Okay, you are not the Almighty. God is. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9 says this. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know the, the, the specific situations and the circumstances that you find yourself in this morning. I don't know of the different things that are happening. I don't know um, what it is that you walked in here carrying. Uh, I don't know what is waiting for you at work tomorrow. I don't know what kind of the situation it is that you're facing. I do know that in the midst of the darkest moments of our lives, it's natural to focus on the difficulty surrounding us. But there is freedom and there is hope in remembering that it's not about how good or bad the things are. True hope and true freedom are found in recognizing who God is. And so let's look at Job's response one more time. Go back to Job chapter 40, verse 4 and 5. And Job says this, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. I want to focus in on this phrase, I lay my hand on my mouth. How many different difficult situations could we avoid if we would have just done that in life? Yet this is beyond just Job saying, all right, I'm not going to talk back to you, God. What this is a picture of is this is a picture of Job in total submission to God and to who he is. One theologian put it this way, one can fall on one's face and yet continue to blubber and babble. But to yield the tongue is to yield everything. I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And I would encourage you and challenge you, may you and I, may we be people who would yield everything to our all-knowing God. Not just in seasons of celebration, but in every every moment imaginable. May we be people who would yield everything to him in the hardest, darkest, and loneliest seasons imaginable. And in those times, may we remember that we are not alone, that he has not left us, he has not forsaken us. God will never leave us, he will never forsake us, not even for a moment. May we remember that this morning.